You're listening to the North Canton Chapel podcast. Thank you for joining us today. The North Canton Chapel exists to make much of Jesus every day to everyone. It's our prayer that this podcast will equip you to do just that. We believe that there's nothing like the church united together in gospel community. We'd love if you'd stop in and say hello in person if you're in our neighborhood. Our gathering times are at 9 and 10.30 a.m. Thank you again for joining us today. Let's listen in. Good morning. My name is Matt Brumfield, uh, or Brummy. I'm the online community pastor here at NCC. And I'm so excited to be here in week three of our summer series through the book of 1 Peter. We're going to be finishing up chapter one today. It's just a few verses, but there's such deep truths. And if you've been tracking along with us in week one, right, we learned that 1 Peter was a letter that was written. It was written and it would have been read as one whole to this group of exiles, these churches and these villages. And so it would have been written to them, read to one, passed along to the others. And it's important for us to remember this because we're going to jump into a few verses, but we need to remember what has come before, which is hard for us because we, whether we like it or not, we're a snapshot culture. We like little quotes that we agree with, little snippets that get our points across and our preferred platforms. But in caution of what can happen when we live in that, let's remember that the truth we're going to read here in these verses is built upon what was said before. And I want to even challenge you as a believer, don't settle for snapshot Christianity. Don't always go to the same books in the Bible that you know. Don't just let your time in God's Word be 40 minutes on a Sunday. Sit with this, all of it, dig deeper the parts that are confusing that you don't understand, that don't make sense, that don't make you feel good. If you don't know where to start, we would love to help you figure that out. So, where have we been? Week 1, Pastor Brandon shared the truth in the first 12 verses of 1 Peter 1 with the reality that the God who brought salvation to the world is the God who will lead you through this world. This is all about Jesus. We just sang it this name. He is the one who saves us, and he is the one who is shaping us, and he is the one who sustains us through whatever trials we face. Contextually, if you remember, and it's important for us to remember, this was written to a group of people whose brothers and sisters, fellow believers, were literally being taken and dragged, lit on fire in the emperor's garden. Last week, Pastor Micah unpacked verses 13 through 21 and the truth that we need reminded of who we are and whose we are so that we can conduct ourselves in a way that represents our Father well. Church, our call to holiness is not in our own strength. It is in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. Because we deeply love our Heavenly Father and want to please Him, we seek to obey because we love Him. Why would we not do what he has asked us? And so today, Peter, in these last three, three to four verses, he's going to drive home the truth of what it means for us to be a part of God's family. Because of the gospel truth that it is Christ and Christ alone that saves us, Peter here is going to clearly show this is then what will naturally be displayed outward towards others because of your new inward affections as part of God's family. Let's read here, 1 Peter 1, 22 through 25. It says this, it says, Having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth for a sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart, 
Since you've been born again, not of perishable seed, but of imperishable, through the living and abiding word of God, for all flesh is like grass, and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, God, we thank you and praise you because you are so good that your word is true. And so I ask that this morning as we read, as we dive into that, that you would speak to us, that you would turn our hearts, soften our hearts from false belief, false action, and turn back to you because of what you have done, that we would be obedient children, that we would love as you have called us to love. And so speak to us this morning through your word. We pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. So it starts, verse 22, it says, having purified your souls by your obedience to the truth. We're going to pause there. Remember, the truth can be missed if we just jump into this. It thinks like, you're the one that did the work. No, we need to remember what was written before. Your salvation is found in Christ alone, not in our own works. You and I, we did not do anything to earn our salvation Each and every one of us is born a sinner. It doesn't matter what country, what political party, whether we're homeschooled or public schooled, our denominational upbringing, my children, your children, we all are born sinners. So let us not get confused here and think we are the ones that somehow did anything to earn our salvation. Call back to verse 2. It says, In the sanctification of the Spirit for obedience to Jesus Christ, The Spirit is the one who is sanctifying. Jesus said this to his disciples in John 14. He says, the one who loves him will obey and keep his commands. All of this ties together, church. We don't obey to earn our salvation. Our salvation has been given to us by Christ. And thus, out of that overwhelming love, we obey. And as we obey him through the power of his spirit, we are changed. Now, the word that's used here in the Greek for truth is really important. It's this Greek word, aletheia, which in ancient Greek culture, this is something we missed, it was the same as reality. It was the opposite of illusion. God's word is truth. We, we hold that here. But we look at this and we're going to unpack this. Truth and love are intertwined. They're tied together. Truth and grace, truth and love are inseparable. Church, we must guard our hearts and minds from the false belief that one outweighs the other. Hear me, this is so important because it's so easy for us to live on either end of the pendulum. But we must fight against this urge. We don't get to do whatever we want and we don't get to say whatever we want. There is correction needed, but it cannot be absent of love. And there is loving grace, but it cannot be absent of truth. And all of us in here in this room or watching online lean more naturally one way or another. But see, if we're in Christ, we have been given the Holy Spirit, and thus we no longer live in our natural flesh and our natural leanings. The spirit that dwells inside us is the one who must lead us. Truth intertwined with love, which we see here as we continue in verse 22, right? Having purified your souls by obedience to the truth for sincere brotherly love, love one another earnestly from a pure heart. Truth and love. Why are we obedient, church? To then display love. Not to boast. Not to brag. 
not to create tables where everyone thinks like us, dresses like us, acts like us, is as far along in following Jesus, or is as sanctified as us, as though we were the finished working of God. No. Jesus is the finished work of God. Philippians 1, 6 reminds us that he who began a good work in you is the one who will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. But that day is not here yet. So just in case you or I think because we're so many years or decades into following Jesus that we're done being worked on, we're not. You're not. I'm not. We obey because we are loved and we obey so we can love. And obedience here to the truth of God's word is actively loving. See, there's these two words in the Greek which are translated as love. The first is one we've heard, Philadelphia, brotherly love, kindness. Now, we need to pause here and rehash something. These past few weeks, we've heard a lot of words. God is father, obedient children. This week, we see brotherly. And this is familiar language, but we need to be honest. Because some of us have a distorted view of family because we live in a sinful and broken world. And our cultural context has tainted our view and understanding of family. And sometimes when we read scripture without recognizing our own familial brokenness triggers, we get it wrong. We celebrate the wrong things. Like in 1 Corinthians when Paul right, says, as the final straw, there's this call to expel the immoral brother from them. I've heard so many brothers and sisters in Christ celebrate the kicking out. But do you even know why that was referenced? We get hints at this end goal in Paul's second letter to the church in Corinth. The end goal is always reconciliation. See, the church as family, it meant warmth. It meant love. It meant compassion, kindness. It meant relationship as God intended it to be. And so removing one from this as a last straw was saying, hey, they need to feel what they are missing. This was cold. You're missing something. The goal was to remove to say, hey, I am missing this better thing. I'm missing the family of God. Relationship as God intended it to be. And the family of God... They weren't back celebrating, saying, finally, that idiot is gone. The family of God isn't about cutting ties and throwing fists and celebrating our anger and bitterness and wrath and malice. The family of God is about worshiping the one who reconciled a dead, wicked, and sinful world, you and me, to himself. And because of what Jesus has done, being a people who fight for reconciliation, who fight for grace, who fight for love, because when we look at the cross, church, how could we do anything else? So can I invite us to be honest? I just want to pray here, a prayer of repentance, if maybe we've functioned in a way that God has not called us to function, Jesus. We recognize that our world is broken and so some of us have celebrated the wrong things instead of partnering with you in the ministry of reconciliation that you have entrusted to us. Jesus, I ask as we hear this word that we would be obedient to the truth out of the depths from which you have called us, that you have changed us, that you have saved us. 
Holy Spirit, would you speak to us? Would you draw our hearts back to you? Would we be a people, a family that function as you say? We pray this in your holy and mighty name. Amen. So the question then is, what does love, what does biblical, familial, gospel love look like? So these two kinds of love, the first, brotherly, kindness, there's this second word for love here, it's agapeo, it's a verb, which means it's action. It means to love, to wish well, to take pleasure in, to long for, to esteem. This is the kind of love that Peter says here is expressed to one another. Who? One another, and so specific to this letter, the exiles, those who are in these churches, those who gather on, who heard this letter being read and passed it on, and so to us here, who, as fellow hearers of God's word, this is a call to those who are around you here or online. And let me caution us, see, culturally we have this thing, right, where we think we get to pick and choose our togetherness. We cancel each other. And just to be clear, canceling isn't a left or a right, a, a conservative or a liberal thing. It's an everybody thing. But see, if our kingdom is no longer in the ways of the world because we are in Christ, and so if we are in the kingdom of God, we don't get to do that. We don't get to move. So it makes it more convenient and easy for us to obey his word. God is Father, not you and not me. You and I don't get to decide who is a part of the family or who will be a part of the family, lest we forget and have such a small view of what God is doing to think there are not our lost brothers and sisters that he is still reconciling to himself through the blood of Jesus and Jesus alone. And this is the truth here. And because of that, we don't get to decide who is worth loving and who we are called to love. You don't get the pieces of scripture that make it more comfortable for you culturally. Some of us in here watching give a thumbs up when we read and say, no sexual immorality, no murder, no witchcraft, yeah. But then we go and we rest in hatred, in bitterness, in malice. But when we read Galatians, those things are all on the same list. And on the flip side, some of us in here are canceling and moving our togetherness because someone else is being hateful and malicious and mean and angry. Neither of us get to cancel the other, get to move and choose our togetherness because we are not the ones who determine the family of God. Because see, the words Peter uses to define not only the type of love, but the way in which it displayed, these words are sincere and earnest. Sincere in the Greek was almost literally meaning not a hypocrite. It means free from agenda. Church, you aren't loving. If you are in Christ, you aren't loving so that they will be something. You're loving because you are something. You are a child of the king now. Our motive to love is not based on what they are or what they are not. There's a difference. You're a child of the king now, and so you love because of that identity. And it's this earnest love. This Greek word is ektenos, which means fully stretched, extended out, without slack. This beautiful word picture and the question 
as we read this church, brothers and sisters, have we let up our love? Have you let up your love? Have I let up my love? Have we put slack, given up, stopped extending fully from the unending well of love and grace that was displayed for us on the cross of Jesus Christ? When you run into the same conversation over and over, does your love let up? When the coworker or family member or friend or neighbor doesn't respond, does your love let up? So many of us at first, right, we're eager because we're like, maybe I can change their minds. And beloved brothers and sisters, you can't change their minds. Only Jesus can do that. Don't put that false weight on yourself. Jesus has not called us to change minds. Jesus has called us to be faithful. I wonder what happens so often when we realize their mind isn't changing if the belief is that we have to change them instead of just saying, I'm faithful to what Jesus has asked me to do. We aren't loving so that they will be something. We are loving because we are something. In Jesus, you are a child of God and that drives your love. It's not dependent on on a response from anyone or anything. Only the Father draws, and you and I don't determine time or results. We just say, okay, Lord, I'm here. Fruitfulness is measured in faithfulness, and it's displayed in the fruit of the Spirit. And isn't it so interesting if you actually sit and read the fruit of the Spirit? Everything in the fruit of the Spirit, It's all about what comes out of me. It's not about how anyone responds, right? Love, joy, peace, patience. When God's word is saying this is what it looks like to live by the Spirit, it's not about anyone else's response. It's all about what's coming out of you. What are you displaying? And so how do we do this? Because look, as Peter continues, he reminds us as he began writing, and now here, this love comes out of us because this is reality, this is truth. The summation of the entire first chapter of 1 Peter, who we are and the way in which anything that has happened in us has happened. Look here, verse 23. Since you have been born again, How have we been born again? Not of perishable seed, but of imperishable. Through the living and abiding word of God, all of this is only because of Jesus, not because we did anything. 4, verse 24, all flesh is like grass and all its glory like the flower of grass. The grass withers and the flower falls, but the word of the Lord remains forever. And this word is the good news that was preached to you. Church, the reality is anything we are is because of Jesus that anything else is false hope, false protection, false security. It fades, it doesn't last, it will not stand. Peter quotes here Isaiah 40 in proclaiming there is one, one and one alone from whom anything that sustains comes from and anything good is from him and him alone. We are not self-made, nor can we somehow in our own efforts create a less broken, less sinful world apart from Jesus. But see, here's what is hard about that church. 
We have this tendency to sing and quote and say a lot of things that elevate Jesus as Lord, to elevate his word, which is good to keep doing that. But the problem is, is we function in a way that places a lot of weight on ourselves and on our fellow man. Weight that we can't carry. False hope, false security, false peace. What do I mean? When we sing of God as Redeemer, some of us sing from a different place. When we sing of God as peace, some of us sing from a different place. God is healer, God is gracious, God is holy, God is Father, God is friend. But we also often feel the need to diminish our story of the place where we were when we experienced the full truth of who He is in that way. In fear and shame that somehow what we were cannot be shared. As though what we were and who we are now was supposed to be in our own strength, that we are supposed to be perfect, that we are like born into salvation. Instead of saying, This is how mighty and magnificent and loving and holy God is. And in turn, we have this false idea that if only things were this way or went back to this way, then everyone would be okay and we wouldn't have the problems we're facing now. We are only ever okay because of Jesus. And being okay in Jesus is not dependent upon an earthly power, an earthly person, an earthly institution, or an earthly situation. The reality here in God's word we see is our world is broken. And every one of us, no matter where or when, are born sinners. So can we unpack this church being honest, to hopefully be a church that in saying we want to make much of Jesus allows the reality of our brokenness not to silence our worship, but to fuel our awe at how wonderful Jesus is. To preface this, we never want to live on extremes. We want to cultivate equally. So in what I'm about to speak and walk us through, this is not a rebuke at seeking to cultivate spaces to safely disciple, to raise, and care. But to also remind us to cultivate our hearts, the reality that until Jesus comes again, nothing will be as it's intended to be, no matter how hard we strive. And too often we're in shock because we in the church have misplaced hope in things this side of eternity. What am I getting at when we read this? The reality that nothing apart from Jesus can save us and nothing that can we, we can create or do can somehow diminish the reality of brokenness and sin. See, at six years old, <clears throat> little Brummy had all the circumstances that would lead us in the church to believe that my sin would somehow be less my loving parents as they prayed over me, as I was born into a conservative, Republican, church-going home, right? Private Christian school, then homeschooled, no real TV, Christian radio, things that some of us would celebrate if we just got back to that would stop everything that's happening. And it's not that those things aren't good. But man-made citadels don't stop the schemes of Satan and the reality of our broken world. Because see, at six years old, 
in what seemed like a safe little citadel, quietly I knew my brokenness. Brokenness which if spoken out loud in the church would have labeled me abomination. A label I carried in silence, was I? Not knowing that God's word doesn't just speak in Leviticus 18, but actually speaks 117 times in the Old Testament, and not 117 times specific to this form of sexual brokenness and sin, but to a plethora of sin across the spectrum, which calls the reality that all sin, regardless of how big or small man believes it to be, carries a cost that only Jesus could satisfy in the way in which he satisfied it upon the cross. I grew up going to church, was limited in my friends, and yet in the midst of surrounded by only Christian positive influences, still doubt crept in. Does God love me? I sang it. I said it. I had to memorize verses over and over. I was homeschooled and went to church. That's what I did. And yet sin knocked at my door. I struggled in silence. Addictions grew as I became an adolescent, crying out to God because I knew, I knew what I was. I knew I couldn't stop, that I couldn't change myself. And yet these rumblings made me say, did it mean the cross was not for me? I had read while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us when we were dead in sin. I knew I was dead in sin. But because of this I experienced when all this protection was supposed to be around me, was I somehow farther? Had God abandoned me? Questions that wasn't safe to ask in church. And I heard these rumblings like it was something more I had to do before Jesus could change me. Maybe he didn't want to save me. And with that doubt, and that lie I ran over and over, beginning to believe that I was unlovable. There was no grace. And it was as I ran in hooking up with random strangers, the places that I then said, surely God is not here. In those spaces is where God made himself known to me. When I ran and said, I'm too far gone, God is not here, grace showed up. Grace that showed up in loving kindness. As I sat and found myself weeping after a night of regret, this Jesus that previously I believed the lie that he offered me only wrath and judgment in that moment instead washed over me with loving kindness that said, I love you. And I have something so much better for you. Come to me. Turn to me. In the wrath I knew I deserved, in that season, I realized it was paid on the cross by Jesus for me. Not because I had earned it, not because my parents had orchestrated it, not because of the situation I was born into, but because God is who he says he is. The God whose scripture writes over and over as truth that he is healer began to bring healing in the farthest parts of me. The God whose scripture writes over and over as truth that he is present, that he is faithful, reminded me of his presence and faithfulness through my darkest valleys and loneliest days when I wanted nothing to do with him. He was there. And this truth, this, this good news that I had so desperately wanted to hear, this is what Peter is writing about that we see throughout Scripture. This is all about Jesus, and anything we are is only because of Jesus. He is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so the question for us, church, like really, 
not just in 40 minutes on Sunday, but is Jesus good news? Is your hope in his word, which displays the reality of who he is and what he has done, are your affections turned towards him? Have you sat and let his word speak truth over your life? The darkest parts of you, the spaces that maybe you believe need to be covered in fear and shame that Jesus is with you in. Because this good news and experience of reality isn't about us. It's all about him. Jesus gets all the glory. As I sat and I was praying about today and I was thinking on stories from my season here, past 12, 13 years, as I've sat recently listening to you, as I've looked and seen the, the immense hardship that has been these last few years, I realize how easy it has been for us to forget, to misplace our hope, to forget what his word speaks over us. So the band's going to come back up and I'm going to lead us just in a moment. You know, Paul, when he's writing in Romans 2, he says it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. I think when we sit with God's word, some of us maybe have had God's word spoken of us in not a way that is kind, that is loving. And it's true, he is holy, and it's true that, right, there's wrath that's deserved, but Jesus paid this for us. In this moment, as I sat, I was saying, what... What truth do we need to hear? Do we need to speak? What lies do we need to repent of? And so this isn't like some new revelation. No, this is from God's word. And so I'm gonna just offer some prompts on the screen. And I want us to sit with these. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's stirring in your heart, but I know that God is good. His word is true and he speaks a better word over us than any person than any situation, than any circumstance. And so as we're speaking these, I just want to invite you to respond as the Holy Spirit leads. This isn't some weird, like, come to the front, but if God's calling you to do something, then do it. Maybe you need to write this down. Maybe you need to raise your hand and say, this has been me, Jesus. Will you turn myself, my heart back to you? When the enemy wants me to believe that God has abandoned me, the good news reminds me that he is Jehovah Shema, the Lord is there. Man, it's been hard these last years that some of us feel alone. We may feel abandoned. We may feel as though we are not seen. Let me just tell you, this is who God is. This is his word. There's no valley too dark. There's no addiction too strong. There is no brokenness too deep for the Lord to meet you there. Do you know him? Not just as something you prayed years ago, but right here, right now, the Lord wants to meet you. Will you turn your affections back to him? When I feel as though my sin is too great, I have wandered too far, that I am overwhelmed by life, the good news reminds me that he is Jehovah Ra'ah, the Lord my shepherd. Jesus himself says that he is the good shepherd and he says in this story, the shepherd has this flock, right, a hundred, and there's this one that leaves. You know, in our culture, it's easy to say, why would you leave the one? When you got 99, just settle, you're good. And Jesus, 
Jesus says, no, I am the good shepherd and I go and I find that one. And so maybe you're in here and you're saying, I'm that one. I've believed the lie that I have wandered too far. Maybe, maybe you've believed that lie for a family member, for a friend, for a coworker, and this is who he is. This unfathomable grace and mercy of the good shepherd that pursues. Maybe the word that has been spoken over you is lost, abomination, unlovable, unworthy, forgotten. Let me tell you, there is a good shepherd, the king, who sees you, who knows you, who loves you, who made a way to reconcile you to himself. When the wounds of my past cloud the steps of my present, when the cracks of doubt are sinking my faith, the good news reminds me that he is Jehovah Rapha, the Lord that heals. Second Corinthians 1.4 speaks and says that he comforts us in all our afflictions. Nothing too deep, too small, too far, too wide for him to meet you and bring healing in time. And some of us may sit with that and the lie that we said is I've prayed these different prayers and I'm still hurting. The pain runs so deep, I don't know if I can cry anymore. But see, this hope that we cling to in Revelation 21, it says there's a day that is coming when he will return and make all things new. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. It says death and sickness will be no more. He is the Lord that heals. Will you cry out to him? When the enemy has spoken darkness over me, when I believe the lie that I am darkness and belong to darkness, the good news speaks a better word and reminds me that he is deliverer. Colossians 1.13, listen to this. It says, God has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. We have a real enemy. And Satan may want you to believe that you belong to him. But let me tell you, I have seen with my own eyes the physical manifestation of demonic presence. And I have seen the name of Jesus silence the cries of the demons and break strongholds of darkness. Jesus is our deliverer. And at the name of Jesus, every ruler and power in heaven and on earth bows. When the enemy wants me to believe that my circumstance, my temptation, my struggle, my pain, my shame, my fear is too much, the good news reminds me that he is Jehovah Ezer. The Lord is my helper. Hebrews 13, six says, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? What are you looking to fix you, to help you? There is one. There is one helper and his name is Jesus. Have you turned to him? We so easily want to believe it's these other false things because we can feel them more easily or grasp them, but no, everything fades. Apart from Jesus, everything fades. Our help is from him and him alone. And he's here. We don't have to get back to something to experience Jesus as helper. Will you turn to him? When what fuels me is rage, anger, bitterness at current circumstance or situation, the good news reminds me that he is Jehovah Shalom, the Lord is peace. And these past years have been hard. We're hurting and we're frustrated and we're upset 
It's so many things. And I think that for a lot of us, and I've been here without realizing it, we've been drinking from the trough of bitterness and the trough of frustration. And we've been resting in our anger and trying to justify it by saying, well, Jesus flipped tables. But see, Jesus didn't flip tables every day, every moment. His anger at that was anger about those who honored institutions and religiosity over fellow image bearers that desperately needed saving. Not by lofty arguments or man-made laws, but by Christ and Christ alone. The only one who can make us good can make us righteous. And Jesus says he is living water and so, and he is peace. You don't have to carry your anger and frustration and bitterness. That's not what he has for you. He has something so much better. And will you turn to him? And finally, when I don't even know what to do, where to go, what to pray, what to ask or what I need, the good news reminds me that he is Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. In Romans 8, it says, likewise the spirit helps us in our weakness for we do not know what we ought to pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know for that those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called, and those whom he called, he justified, and those whom he justified, he also glorified. The help and working provision of our Lord and the good that it speaks to isn't our definition of good. Our Heavenly Father knows best, and he defines the reality of good. And so you may sit here and you say, I don't even know. He does. He is El Roy, the God that sees, and he sees you and he sees your need before you can even see it for yourself or for your family, for your children, for your grandchildren, for your coworkers. Will you turn to him as Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide? Because church, all of this, this is all about Jesus. He is the only thing, the only one. Is he your everything? that if nothing else on this earth changes, do you know him as your peace? Do you know him as your helper? Do you know him as your deliverer? Not just for 40 minutes on Sunday, not just when the political climate is how you want it, not just when relationships in this world are as you think they should be. No, but right here, right now. I'm gonna pray and we're gonna sing and we're gonna to sing to the one name, the only name, Jesus. He is our rock, our foundation. You are deeply loved in this word that is living and abiding. Let it be where you spend your time. Let it be what guides you, what speaks over you. Because everything else fades and nothing else satisfies. Jesus, we come before you Lord, would we be a church of people that are turning our hearts and our faces back to you? Jesus, as we sing, may her praise not be empty, 
but may we sing from the depths of the goodness that we've experienced, the goodness that we believe, even if we haven't seen it, that your word, it is true, and therefore we sing it as truth. Jesus, you are the only one. You are the only thing. And so we come humbling ourselves to worship you and you alone. Thank you for listening to this episode of the North Canton Chapel Podcast. If this ministry has blessed you in any way, please share this episode with your friends or spread the word on social media. If you subscribe and leave a five-star review, it goes a long way to helping us make much of Jesus every day to everyone who hears these podcast episodes. You can also donate to this ministry at ncchapel.com forward slash give. Thanks again for joining us. May you go out into your places and spaces making much of Jesus every day to everyone.